this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com. That's digmeoutunion.com. And it just so happens, Jay, that this episode was selected by the folks at the board of directors and steering committee levels of our Patreon community. They're the ones directing the ship on the roundtables this year. That's right. And they picked a doozy. Yeah, this is popular. A lot it was. of comments, a lot of conversation. Yes. So people will probably know if they've listened to us in the past that we do a, a series called Sophomore Slump Revisited where we take albums in the 90s because there were a lot of big selling debut records but then a lot of not such successful or not so successful follow-ups and we try to figure out whether it was simply a matter of the band didn't have enough time and they they put out a subpar second record if they actually did make a second record that was good but maybe the times had changed and they weren't supported by radio or their record label screwed up the promotion or or what have you so we try to look at some examples every year of of sophomore slumps that didn't work out We're, we're reversing it we're going in the opposite direction, Jay. Sophomore slumps exist, you know, throughout all aspects of life. Movies have directors was their second movie as good as their first. Athletes sophomore slumps, but then there are some whose sophomore years are even better. They as, high school students, yes, college students. If the word sophomore or second is involved in any aspect. <laughs> You can reverse that, Jay. I like to call it reversing the curse. If you are doing something for the second time, you can either do it better or worse than the first right. time. Right. Those are the two options. You cannot match it exactly. You can only do better or worse. To help us discover or 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 consider or debate or argue, because I got a feeling there's going to be some debating going on, because some of this is going to be real subjective. It's not all objective. We're not talking just about album sales. We're talking about albums that the band put out a good, solid freshman effort, and then the sophomore album came out and was like, wow, this is even better. But by whose judgment? Is it by album sales? Is it by radio play singles? Is it by simply by critical acclaim? We're going to discuss that for a whole bunch of different bands that have been discussed in the Patreon community as well as the folks that are joining us tonight. We've got a full round table, just like our last round table, and like we're doing we got a couple of veterans joining us, plus a patron joining us for the first time. So from Hamilton, Ontario, Hamilton, Ontario, Hamilton, Ohio. <laughs> See, I grew up in Buffalo, so Hamilton, Ontario is like right across the, right across the, uh, the, the lake. That's that it's was, a tiger cat. Yeah. <laughs> and number 43 of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. <laughs> Jeremy Amen. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, eh? <laughs> Thank you for playing along <laughs> well with, my, with my mistake. Um, 
I asked you along because you had a lot of comments about what a sophomore slump uh, reverses, what, what people to defied it. And there were literally so many comments, I said, I cannot read all these comments on the show, so you are now responsible for reading all of your comments. Uh, just so you know, I will not be touching. Well, crap. <laughs> <laughs> so good job. That is the secret sauce for getting on the podcast. You simply overwhelm me with comments. And I'm like, forget it. Just come on the show and talk about them. Joining Jeremy are two veterans of the podcast. One who just went through a storm with me here in Ohio. Chip Midnight, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Did you uh, get hail too? We got heavy rain and oh. thunder and lightning. I don't know if we got hail or not. It sounded like it, but I didn't see any. Oh, we, yeah, we got some. We got some. For those who don't know, uh, who are not listening to the live feed, but are actually listening to us, the uh, recorded episode that released on Tuesday, um, we had a power outage at my location, and uh, I'm broadcasting from my neighbor's house, because that's how dedicated I am to this podcast. I will go mobile. <laughs> it's like the Rolling Stones mobile setup in the, in the 1970s. I'm taking this on the road. I'm at the, I'm at the, uh, the French mansion making sure this happens. Finally, hey, it's been a while, Mr. Copany. Jim Copany joining us from Chicago. Uh, welcome back. I know you've got Howdy. thoughts. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Instantly. As soon as I asked him, he said, here's, here's one. So we're going to get to that. So there's a couple different ways I want to approach this. There are sophomore slumps or sophomore. I gotta, now i got to correct myself because I'm going to say there's, there's sophomore albums that exceeded in terms of clearly just in terms of sales. You know, the first album sells a million copies and then the next album comes out and sells 10, 10 million copies. A million copies is nice, but... 10 million is even better. Um, then there are critical reversals where maybe the first one was a success, but the second one people went, oh, wow, this is a legit artist. We can get into those as well. And then there are the debatable ones where the first album and the second album are really strong, but they might have differences. And you personally might think this is a stronger sophomore album than debut. And that's where the fun debating will get in. I am going to start with our, our newest guest, Jeremy. Throw out one of the um, picks you have for a superior sophomore album that uh, is the criteria of, you know, the, the, the debut did fine in terms of sales and singles and stuff like that. But the second one just blew that out of the water. Do you have any examples of that in your list? Uh, well, the first one that I'm thinking of right off the bat, um, and actually I have a question about it too, is, um, is Wilco's being there. Okay. Um, and I, I'm wondering, I don't know if double albums count as double sales or not, because if they, if they don't, then that album, I think technically outsells Summer Teeth as well, which, uh, is kind of impressive, but, uh, so it's kind of a based on charting, but then also I just think it's a. I love AM, but it's much better than AM. Um, I'll agree with you. I think it counts as one album because it was packaged together. I think it wouldn't count as one album if it was like Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, which were actually released as two different albums. So yeah, they have separate I, sales. If I remember correctly at the time, uh, Jeff Tweedy actually had a deal with the record label that they would sell the album for a single album price, and the band would eat um, some of the losses and the profits because it's in fact, a double album. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it's kind of yeah. And I concur with you. I think that that's a an excellent example of a a band that put out a solid debut with a, you know it had recognition. There was a video on MTV and all that stuff. And then the second album is amazing. 
So yeah, I mean, I'm not not picking a blockbuster out of the gate there as far as their no. first album goes, but uh, but I, I just I think those four albums are all pretty much. I, they're kind of all in the same league for me, but um, right. sales-wise, I was surprised to see that that second one outsold them, or outsold the other two of the first three. Jim, give me an example, uh, like with Jeremy, of one that you have where the the debut was fine, it sold okay, and then the second one is where the band takes off. I'm gonna throw two in them, but just because they're both from Chicago, and they they kind of immediately went to mind. One of them would be Local H's blew the doors off sales wise. Yep. And then the other one would be the Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. Yeah. I mean, Gish, I think, is, I think Gish is a great album, but Siamese Dream not only had even stronger songs in it, but I mean everybody bought it. It's the kind of album that if you look in somebody's CD collection in 1995, 1996, it was always. It was there, probably right next to Dave Matthews Band, including the Blowfish. Yeah, and that, I mean, with regards to the Pumpkins, the while the debut was fine, it does not in any way indicate how huge that band was going to be in terms of him writing radio singles, like with Today and, right. and Rocket and Disarm. I mean, that that was just a stratospheric difference. Uh, good, good you're starting out with the hometown bands. I like that. Chip! So that means you have to go with only Columbus bands at this. <laughs> no, uh, what are you uh... <laughs> exactly? Um, what are some picks that uh, that you have for this particular category? So my pick is one that it's not so much that um, that I liked it more than the first record. I think I got into this band on their sophomore record, and it became my favorite of theirs. And so I went back and listened to the first one, but. Uh, it was really the second one is where I discovered him first. That would be on um, Pavements, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Darling, don't you go and cut your hair. Do you think it's gonna make him change? I'm just a boy with a new haircut. And that's a pretty nice haircut. Charge her like a puzzle. Hitman wearing muzzles. Hesitate to die. Look around, around. The second drummer drowned. This telephone. Yeah, I think that came up in the comments a little bit. So, Slanted and Enchanted, I didn't, I didn't listen to Slanted and Enchanted for many years after I heard Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. I think, like I said, my introduction to the band was probably the Cut Your Hair video. So that like kind of became my instant favorite album of theirs. Okay, so a couple albums that I want to mention that people in the comments made that I think fit this category, and we can discuss them. Uh, one, Jason Pan brought up Radiohead. He said, the, you know, the debut, a one-hit wonder band moving to something more gigantic. Yep. I think that they fall under this category. And I think I, that's a solid pick. Another one, which I hadn't thought of, but it, after he mentioned it, I think I think it's correct. Um, Gary Moran said that the first that comes to mind is Alice in Chains. Facelift was good, but Dirt is incredible. Did uh, Facelift sold pretty well, though, right? Right, but I think I think Dirt. Man of the Box was huge. Yeah, I think Dirt far outsold Facelift. Yeah, there's Mike. I'm guessing that Facelift is probably in the 10 million range, probably in, uh, minimum, like worldwide. Another one that uh, came up, and I'm not sure if it falls into this category or if it would fall into uh, a really good debut, and then a, a even further 
on this on the sophomore, but we can debate this. Stone Temple Pilots. I had actually been kind of thinking about them because what what's the sophomore? Is that purple? That's purple. Yeah, because that that definitely has. That's when they start to show that they're fans of Cheap Trick and Power Pop, and they the songwriting opens up from being such a grunge derivative Pearl Jam, Allison Chains ripoff into something that I think would start to really leverage Scott Weiland's more chameleon like vocal tendencies. Yeah. And uh, Allison Chain's Dirt was four times platinum. Facelift was two times platinum. There you go. So is that four million versus eight million? Um, I guess. Is that what platinum is? What is platinum in the nineties? What is? I think platinum's one million. Oh, it's one million. Oh, okay. Huh. That then Dirt sold less than I expected, but couple couple of the big ones. Foo Fighters, Color and the Shape, Mm -hmm. was like twice sold twice as much as the uh, the debut Oasis. What's the story? Morning Glory sold double what the other album did. Yeah, that Foo Fighters one's tough because I personally I really like the debut. Me too. But you, uh, I think the second record you really hear like a very unique band and how expansive they could become. I think the first record is it's good, but it's like one sound to me. Yeah, I could see that. I do like the energy of the first record a lot more than the energy of the second record, but uh, they're kind of equal in my book in different ways. Mike Bond also mentioned Radiohead in Smashing Pumpkins. Some other bands he mentioned was uh, PJ Harvey, her second record, which is Rid of Me. Yeah, and I, I if we ever do a um, a third album that's that's <laughs> even stronger, that, that would probably... Her, her ascension just goes and goes as far as her albums. And then one of the other ones he mentioned uh, was one that, Jim, you brought up when I first brought this topic to you, which is Blur. And yeah. So the first album is, I'm trying to remember, do that, did they have any singles off that first record? Yeah, there yeah. Was, There's No Other Way was one of the singles. I mean, oh, they, okay. were, they, had, they had kind of abandoned their art rock pretensions from when they were called Seymour. So their debut was more... I felt like it was trying to catch on to a bit of the Madchester wave, that whole Happy Monday Stone Roses thing, while at the same time throwing a little bit of shoegaze, and that did okay for them. But then when they brought out Modern Life is Rubbish, that's when you start to really get the, the sharp, concise pop, and it's I think it's kind of the genesis of Britpop. Um, they set down a lot of the early markers for what was going to happen in Park Life, and once the world explode. I was going to say the interesting thing about the uh, PJ Harvey and the uh, the Blur thing is that both of those second albums really didn't do much better than the first chart-wise or sales-wise, I don't believe. But uh, they're definitely evolutions in, of the band and, I think, better albums. Yeah, yeah. it, it kind of it cemented their artistic vision, set, set the roadmap for where they were going to go. From right, that point right. Out. You can see that they're evolving into something that they was not there on the first record. But when, it, when it comes to big smash hits, I'm kind of surprised none of you folks in Ohio had brought up uh, The Breeders' Last Flash. Because that was their sophomore album after Pop. Mm-hmm. That's that true. That's true. That's a huge sophomore record. Got a, a bunch of singles on that one. Um, we, we didn't bring it up yet. <laughs> it, it probably would have gotten, gotten brought up at some point. But we don't, we don't want to hog all the Ohio choices either. That's the thing. So Alex Martin, he mentioned, like you, Chip, he mentioned Pavement's Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. 
He also mentioned some controversial ones that I, I know you guys want to talk about. Pinkerton over the Blue Album. Mm. I'm in that camp. Anybody who's not in that camp. From a artistic standpoint, you're saying? I or just from the, what, what I think we like? songwriting throughout the whole album is better. I mm. think the lyrical content is more interesting on the second record. I think it's... It, it, the the raw guitar tone drum sound is more interesting than the super clean Rick Ocasek production on the first record. Uh, everything about that record to me is is just one notch above what the mm. and the debut is very good, but it's like very tightly controlled and crisp. And See, I'm, on, I'm on the fence because to me the Blue Album doesn't have a single bad song. It's almost like the textbook definition of a perfect power pop fuzz rock however you want to call it album um it's just it's it's flawless in that respect when it comes to having a longer effect over time i think you probably have to hand that to pinkerton because i think there are a lot more bands that have been influenced by the sound and the lyrical approach to pinkerton and a bit of that rawness and the the more emotional heft to it than the blue album but I, i think that's a really tough one because they're both great in their own ways it's almost like watching two different bands to a certain extent yeah i i'm with you on that i i see them as equals but different and like they have their own um things about each one of them that's unique that um i appreciate okay you get a little bit more um a little bit more of a fun vibe out of that first album and maybe a little bit more introspective or or serious vibe out of the second album and i think some people are pushed away by the the rawness like kind of a like i think people saw it as a drop in production quality i mean it really wasn't but i think when it came out um el scorcho really pushed me away um i didn't really fully check that album out until years later but uh i think i'm kind of with jay on that i think they're kind of equals i think it just depends on what you want when you go to listen to weezer okay yeah, I would say I, I when I listen to Weezer, I always pick up Pinkerton to start, or that's or if I'm going on Spotify, that's where I start streaming. Then the Blue Album, and then I don't know where I go. I do the same thing, but I think it's. I wonder if it's because Blue Album, the hits on the Blue Album were so maybe overplayed. I mean, right. they were everywhere, and so I'm. It's a great album, and I love that album, but it's it's. I, I go to Pinkerton first also just because those songs aren't as ingrained in my head as the Blue Album songs are. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it didn't have the same commercial impact at the time. Um, Alex Martin also mentioned a band that maybe does not have a big commercial footprint, but critically they do, and that's Neutral Milk Hotel. And he said he went with... Uh, in the Airplane Over the Sea, which is their second record, one of the best albums of the 90s period, and infinitely more listenable than their sound refining on Avery Island. That's, I think that that's pretty no-brainer right there. Although that's a band that, you know, have they sold anywhere near, you know, most of the huge bands we're talking about? No, but the critically, they're, and in terms of influence, probably right up there. Yeah, I, I, they're kind of uh, my music version of uh, Shawshank Redemption in that they came out and probably went up against some other more serious competitors, you know, that maybe weren't as deserving, uh, kind of like um, Forrest Gump. 
And uh, years later, you know, people look back and they see this as a, a, a diamond in the rough. Interesting. I hadn't thought about a Shawshank tie-in, but that's a uh, way to keep it in Ohio. <laughs> I mean, they're also the, they're also the kind of band that whenever Jeff Magnum plays anywhere still, like there's 40, 45% of the audience just crying the entire time through because they're having such a spiritual experience. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with it, but I, I do think that it's fair to say that when it comes to like the indie rock realm, Nutrimilk, that, that in the airplane over the sea is one of the high watermarks as far as many people who came up during that time period are concerned. A couple other ones. Now, these are going to be interesting discussion points. Whether or not the sophomore album is superior to the, to the debut. John Seaman had a couple. This one probably won't be. Everclear. Sparkle and Fade over World of Noise. I think that Absolutely. that's Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sparkle and Fade that's is a great, up. great record. There's a lot of people who love World of Noise and don't like Sparkle and Fade. Like, uh, I know a couple people that wouldn't even listen to Sparkle and Fade but love World of Noise. And I don't, I, I don't have a preference for either of them, but... Yeah, um, I, it's a lot of I probably I probably like that first album more if the the low end on the production wasn't so outrageous. I mean, I I remember popping that in the first time, and I had to I was like, okay, let me turn the bass down about three or four marks because uh, it was overwhelming. Yeah, I, I think the second album overall is a better album too. Not a surf. The proximity effect over high low. Jay and I have some experience because we actually reviewed the proximity effect for the podcast. It's a good record. The only thing I know off a of high low is a single, though. Anybody have more experience to to determine whether or not it genuinely is a superior sophomore record? Any not aheads? <laughs> I, I would say just in my limited experience. I mean, I've listened to them both. I mean, not like thousands of times, but in comparing them, I would say that the second album is definitely a, a step up. Um, I think that first album kind of rode the wave of the uh, of the single. And an odd single uh, that it was. Yeah. Speaking of Weezer. Rage Against the Machine. Ugh. Evil Empire <laughs> over the self-titled debut. I don't no. know how to handle that one. No, the self-titled debut is so much better. I mean, Evil Empire is maybe produced more cleanly, but you, you can't match the, I hate to say it, rage and passion that's on the debut. It also was the kind of album that caught everybody off guard because they're like, oh, you can do that? Yeah. It, 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 feel like, it feels like two different bands almost because the second album is so refined in terms of the songwriting, and the first one feels so much looser and raw. It's just, it just sounds like very young. I know they weren't like kids or anything, but it just sounds so much more primal than the second record. Second round is so much more refined compared to that. Uh, I'll just say that this is reminding me that at some point I'd really love you guys to do a show just about Brendan O'Brien because I want to hate on him. Uh, oh. I, I, I feel like he ruins the sound of just about every band that he touches. Uh, except, I mean, STP is great, but he started with STP. But I mean, he ruined King's X for me. He ruined Matthew Sweet for me. Uh, there's just a bunch of bands where I just feel like he kind of watered down their sound. Oh, got a hold of them. Oh, uh, oh, that, that sounds like a good, uh, good round. But table. I disagree with you, and I'll give you an example where I feel like a sophomore album that he produced. And Jay is probably going to jump down my throat when I say this. <laughs> I think Brad's Brad. second record, produced by Brendan O'Brien, 
is superior to the to the debut. Oh, oh, you. I, I'll give. Good. Did you say Brad? I'll give you that one. I mm. like it. I got. I, Bastard. I think every song on there is perfection, and I know Jay loves the debut. So that was just that was just a shot across the bow, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, love the debut. I, just, I love them both, I but I'm more offended that it seems like you don't love the first one. And I think the that, first that one is me. a little spotty in parts. There's like some goofy stuff, like Rockstar, and just goofing <gasps> around. Definitely, they were high. And you know, I you love Sean Smith, rest in peace. But like that has all the like it has, yeah. it's like the first Satchel record. Like there's just some goofy stuff on there and then same thing with satchel i think the family is a amazing record Actually, you know what? I'm going to say it. Sean Smith's great on the second record because the the, the second Pigeonhead record is great compared to the first Pigeonhead record, which is an interesting experiment, but it's a lot of weird loops and stuff. And it's yeah. not. It's so, so what you're saying is it might not be Brendan O'Brien that made that second record great oh, at all. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe, true. Well, maybe just Sean had the, had the confidence at that point and he rocked the songwriting. Yeah. Well, I think he's the kind of songwriter and maybe... S- what makes uh, good second records is his first records tend to be almost like rough drafts and demo-ish ideas of what a band or a sound could be. And then right. by the second record, they sort of know what they what he wants to do. Um, I, yeah. Maybe that's what makes a lot of these records, the second one, better. Because the band is more confident in what it is that they're trying to do. I want to throw a couple bands out at and, and albums out to you guys and get your feedback. These are also from John Seaman, along with his other um, mentions of Rage Against the Machine and Everclear. Super drag. Head chip yeah. in every key over Regretfully Yours. Actually, Regretfully Yours is their sophomore album. I believe. Didn't they have one called 8-Track Hits or something that was their first album? I, I think that's just an EP, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was an EP. Let me see. Well, I guess yeah, it's only seven songs, so I, I guess technically it's an EP. For our purposes, it's an EP. <laughs> Fine. In that case, I disagree. I like um, Regretfully Years better. Okay. Yeah, that's tough. I, I don't. I have a hard time ranking those records. Other than in- Industry Giants, I'm not a big fan of. But other than that, I like all those records like for different reasons. I don't know if I could say. I that. don't hear a huge difference in first between between the first and the second. I, I like them equally. Seven Mary Three, Rock Crown over American Standard. Anybody have any opinion on that? I've only listened to two songs off of American Standard and none off of Rock Crown. He said, "I think Rock Crown is their best album. It's way more organic. It's a way more organic record than the first release." I'm just going to take his word. Because I don't know. I couldn't listen to every record that everybody brought up. Rock Crown might be a good sophomore slump episode to consider for us. 
But he's saying it's not. He's saying it's a superior. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. I've never listened to it. All right. It. Well, I'll Maybe put it in the I'll put it in the queue for next year's poll. I'm giving both seven or eight three albums a hard pass. Okay, <laughs> that's a hard pass from Mr. Copany. Um, Sponge, wax ecstatic over rotting pinata. I vehemently disagree with this. Me too. Thank you. I think I think rotting pinata rotting pinata has like two classic singles. So we we did a sophomore slump episode on wax ecstatic. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I think I liked that one. album better. I don't remember what I said at the time, but it feels more sophisticated and advent, like adventurous and trying new things. And I think the single's awesome. I don't know. The first one just to me seems, yeah, there's a couple of great singles on it, but the rest of the record is not very compelling. Okay, maybe this is more compelling for you. The Wallflowers bringing down the horse over their self-titled debut. <laughs> Did you know that they have a self-titled debut? No. There you go. Yeah. There you go, right there. Some other ones. I want to get into some where the debut, you know this band, and then the second one comes out, and you're like, wow, they really kicked it up a notch. The one that came up, which we've mentioned, was Oasis. I mean, Oasis had three huge singles off of their debut. They were a global phenomenon within the first six months of existing and then the second record takes them even bigger basically on the backs of wonderwall which was like number one across multiple continents so we're just talking sales or charting right well so here's the thing is it does that matter enough does does the purely the commercial success and the radio single success mean that it's a superior sophomore record because i go back and forth on this like i really like a lot of that debut record and there's some stuff on what's storing more in glory which sounds a little bloated not as bloated as be here now but you could tell that they were already getting a so, little getting know, a little uh, you know, crazy in the studio this is almost the reverse of weezer where the Radiohead's debut, definitely, maybe, is like the loud, um, we drink and we smoke all the time, and it's just smeary and all over the place, but absolutely amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it hits you right in the chest. And then What's the Story Morning Glory is where Noel decided to start to refine and let more of his Beatlesque tendencies come out, as well as, you know, um, <laughs> biting from some other musicians so much so that he had to pay some of them residual royalties. Like I believe he actually had to give Stevie Wonder a writing credit on one of the songs, if I'm correct. But yeah, what's the story? Morning Glory. I think it sold more and it was more popular. And mm-hmm. obviously, getting back to Blur, that was like supposedly the the fatal blow in the rip pop war between the two bands. But I, like I said, like Weezer, I feel like it's two different types of albums. Like I think they're both great. Okay. Let me throw this one at you guys and see what you think. This was brought up by Darren Leach. He said Pearl Jam versus Over 10. Now we're back to Brendan O'Brien. Yeah. Mm. I love that album, but I I love the... There's something about the the emotion that was brought out in the first album by uh, Rick Parasher's production originally that I just... I feel like even like when Brendan O'Brien remixed 10... I felt like there were certain things that were sucked out of that album 
Like he brought some stuff to the forefront, which is great, but uh, he's a great mixer, but I feel like he sometimes kind of George Lucas is the emotion part. So could you, could you make the argument that versus is maybe the first actual like band effort Pearl Jam album, considering the fact that a number of the songs on 10 were written before better joined the band. And, you know, a couple of them, he sang over them on a cassette tape as his demo. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel like 10 and verse versus is where you start to feel better's influence more. And you can definitely see where the band's going to go. 10 kind of stands out there as like a weird bridge between what Pearl Jam became and where they were coming from with like Mother Love Gun and the more glam, um, like epic production side. Yeah, I mean, uh, 10 definitely stands out in terms of sound. Um, I still don't feel like that record just, it doesn't sound like any other band. And I think some of their other stuff since then has been, I don't know, either... I could hear other bands in it. When I listen to 10, like I don't hear any other bands in that. Maybe Mother Love Bone, but that's kind of, that's the same band. So that one from a production standpoint and just overall presentation just is so distinct. And 10 definitely tells you where the band's going to go and pretty much has stayed since in sort of that, that, that mold. They're, they almost sound like different bands in some ways. Pretty dramatic change change um, between those two records for me. Yeah, having spent a lot of time with both those records, I would agree they do sound like radically different in a lot of ways. Even just the guitar approach, the way that you know, yeah, they they the riffs are written and structured. They just sound wildly wildly different. Um, yep. So, so I, I have. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say I was going to go around. Why don't you give me some uh, some of your thoughts on? Uh, albums where the you know similar to oasis or pearl jam where it's a little debatable um maybe you know what let's go back to one of your local tupelo oh because you got no depression and then the sophomore efforts still feel gone i i i find myself i love both albums i think they're both great when i'm just looking for something to listen to i find myself gravitating towards still feel gone nowadays yeah when i was 22 and you know, drinking cases of beer with friends in college, definitely was going more the no depression route. Yeah, I would agree with you. Still Feel Gone is my first pick as well, which is tough because the first album basically defined a movement. It's like got a magazine named after it. That's a tough one. So I have one that uh, I, I kind of go back and forth between these just because of my introduction to the band was their first album. Um but I have a lot of, I, I think I like the second album a lot more, but I still every once in a while get a little sad that it's nothing like the first album, uh, is uh, Sloan's Twice Removed. Um, I, I mean, I can't really talk about chart performance. I don't think either one of those albums really did anything in the U.S. But uh, like, you know, I, I really thought that they were just going to be kind of a shoegaze band forever with some kind of silly, clever lyrics and stuff like that. And then that second album came out and it was like all of a sudden it was... Uh, you know, pet sounds and Beatles stuff just all over the place. Uh, I don't know if that really counts as what we're talking about or not, but... Uh, no, no, I, I have that on my list, too, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one, Sloan's an amazing band, and Twice Removed was a terrific sophomore album after kind of like the more um, shoegazy direction they went and smeared. And let's not forget that Chart Magazine has done numerous polls, and they keep on coming out. That comes out as the uh, best... Canadian album of all time. Only really? Displaced, only displaced once by Joni Mitchell's Blue when the 
hose was reconducted in 2000. But then in 2005, they did it again, and twice removed, came back to the top spot. So Canadians love their slum, as do those of, those of us in America who have refined and excellent use case. And, and the guy from Canada talks about the Canadian band, right? <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, a little throwback. Uh, that's crazy. That's not the Sloan album I would pick, but okay. All right, whatever. Um, I think it was. Yeah. You mean it's your favorite Sloan record? Is that what you mean? Or of the two, of the debut and the and Twice Removed? Well, no, I agree that Twice Removed is is better than was it smeared is that the debut yeah yeah but yeah. i mean as far as like if i was going to say what's the best sloan record i wouldn't say it's twice removed you know i would You're go my say? Like Where you navy, at? navy blues or yeah maybe it's either navy blues or one chord to another. one chord to another that was the one i was trying to remember it was one of those two would be my pick i, I actually love action packed i actually think that they've kind of come back come on strong again uh, not with not with twelve, but I I really like the Commonwealth. Yeah, and, that was uh, good. Um, was it the Double X, Double yeah. Cross? I love that one too. I mean, it, it, there's something. I think what's really happened is, is I think that I, I guess I'm finally opening up to more of Jay Ferguson's songs. Yeah. Uh, at, at, especially even the stuff that has like kind of the disco tinge to it. Um, you know, just uh, kind of becoming a sucker for it for some reason. But yeah, I still twice removed. I've probably listened to at least twice as many times as every other album. So I want to mention some other bands and artists real quick from the from the Patreon page, and and shout out to some folks that commented. I want to Marissa mentioned Oasis, which we've talked about. Darren Leach also mentioned Catherine Wheel. He said, "Yeah, Chrome over Ferment. I, that's tough. Those yeah, are two, two totally different records in a lot of ways. Way more shoegaze on Ferment. Chrome is much cleaner, although not as clean as ha- Happy Days. But that's a tough one. He said uh, Dandy Warhols." Dandy Warhol's come down over Dandy's rule. Placebos, without you, I'm nothing over the self-titled. Yeah. What else was there? There was there was a lot. I'm trying to go. Oh, Keith Badge. Speaking of Canada, I'm Mother Earth. Scenery and fish over Dig. Jay, we reviewed Dig, which was their debut. I think we gave it an EP. And yeah. heard Cedaring Fish. Now, here's the controversial one from him. Destination Universe over International Pop Overthrow by Material Issue. He said, I think, mm. he said, I think DU has catchier songs with way better production. Hmm. I'm recusing myself from this one. Uh-oh. <laughs> too, too, many, too many Chicago connections. I, I can't make a... 
I can't be objective. <laughs> he's, he's abstaining from this vote, folks. I've never heard the first record, but I like the second one a lot. No, International Pop Throw Overthrow is the first. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. He's taken this the sophomore, which is Destination Universe. Okay. Over. I haven't heard that one, the second record then. I think I, I might I have sampled the song. And it, I remember the production being better, but I can't say the whole record's better. Jeremy or Chip, have you heard that one? I mean, I haven't listened to them a lot, but I feel like... I feel the same about all three albums, really. I mean, I, I, I think there's things that I like about all of them, and I, I none of them really turned me off in comparison to another one. And then the, the last one that Keith Badge mentioned was Primitive Radio Gods. I'm going to be honest, I've never listened to a single thing by Primitive Radio Gods. He said White Hot Peach, which must be their sophomore record. Anybody listening to Primitive Radio Gods? No. Nope. I mean, the single. Right, that's the only thing I know. I only figured they had one record. So that was like a tall Bachman situation there. Speaking of Canada. Yeah, I feel like I should. But uh, every time I read something about it, I'm like, hey, maybe I should listen to that album. And then I just never do. Oh, my God. They actually just put out an album in 2016. Really? They have six albums? How is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's Don't you know everyone's getting back together? Yeah, that's maybe true. Maybe it's just them playing that standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand over and over and over again. Yeah. So here's the acapella version, now the polka version, and let's do a tango to it. Well, based on that single, I, w- I wouldn't even be able to guess what the rest of the catalog even sounds like. Right? Is it more that? Drum loose with samples over it? I don't, I don't think anybody knows. Yeah. Nobody that, knows. That was my understanding from, from reading reviews is that they were all over the place, but I could be wrong. Yeah. So what haven't I mentioned? I want to go around and ask you guys, what are some ones that are obvious superior sophomore albums that we may have missed? Chip, let me start with you. What, what would you say is one that we've not talked about that we should have? All right. I have a short list. So I'm going to run through Give them. Give me your short quick. list. Okay. Hole, live through this. Okay. Um, lives throwing copper. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, the first record come out in the '90s or the '80s? Live, they're both '90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually just checked this other one, um, and I don't know that it's superior, but uh, in terms of my favorites, um, Posey's "Frosting on the Beater" over "Dear 23." That's There's a problem with that though. Third record. Yeah. Fail- oh, that's right. That's right. Failure yep. is their first okay. record. Yep, you're right. So I have another one that's sort of in that same boat. That um, I don't know if there's an exception for this one, but. Um, so I know Pantera had a career before Major Label. They had a different singer, but they, Phil did join them for an independent released album. But then, like, once they got signed and really took off, it's like is that that one to me is sort of like a. I'm sort of cheating on that one a little bit. You know, we're pretty loose with, you know, rules and whatnot. We're ignoring EPs. Which were released like Allison Chase had an EP in between two albums. Existed like Cowboys from so. Hell was like, yeah, I feel like Cowboys from Hell felt like the debut to people because, like I said, there was no internet, nobody knew about the early Pantera independent releases. Mm-hmm. Right. But then Vulgar, Dis- Vulgar Display of Power to me is the best hard rock album of the 90s. And that's another case where those two r- records sound very different, right? I mean, the band has found itself on that second record. And then one more, just to throw out in the in the sort of heavy category, um, I thought the Deftones, um, Around the Fur, 
Oh yeah, was that's a good one. Far superior to their first record. Um, one that I forgot that Alex mentioned. Alex Martin mentioned. I don't know if I can agree with this. He picked Sunny Day Real Estate's Pink self-titled album over Diary. Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't know if I can go with that. I'm not saying that the self-titled one is lesser than, but it's hard to beat Diary. I don't know if I can do that. Anybody on board with his pick? Mm-hmm. I I kind of like them equally. I, yeah. Right. Just depends on what I want, I guess. If you'd like me to open up the window, I can play some crickets from outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James. What have we forgotten that you think we need to uh, discuss in terms of sophomores that are superior? So <clears throat> I kind of have a couple. Um, some of them are smaller bands that had really great sophomore albums that have probably been underrated throughout the years. Um, one of those would be Chicago's Triple Fast Action. Their sophomore yeah. album was Cattleman Don't, and it was superior to their first album and still, I think, one of the best albums that came out during that time period, which if you go to their record label, you can actually download it for free still. So if people want to be turned on to something really great, um, download it, and then if you dig it, kick them some money. Um, another one, and this goes back to an earlier Dig Me Out podcast, but Tuscadero's um, sophomore album, My Way of the Highway, kind of addresses everything you guys disliked about it, which is the songwriting's tighter, even though I, I love their debut, the Pink Album. Um, their second one, songwriting's tighter. Production is way, way punchier. Um, it's the kind of album that I think that if you gave it a try, you'd enjoy. Um, along those lines, I actually like Tripping Daisies, I'm an Elastic Firecracker, too. Um, primarily because when that came out, I was really into Jane's Addiction and really into the Flaming Lips. <laughs> so that kind of scratched those. And then um, I'm kind of surprised nobody mentioned Built to Spills. So there's nothing wrong with love. Oh. Kind of... <laughs> that's, that's an obvious one. How did we miss that? How did our patrons miss that one? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Dang. Then, just... Then I am also really partial to Belly's King. I thought that that was a really great album produced by Glenn Johns. But again, it was like bigger songs, bigger production, tighter playing, just had more of an impact on me. And then two smaller bands that put out um, sophomore albums in the early 90s. Okay, they did Kerplunk, which kind of set the template for what they were going to do for the rest of their career. And then um, the Sierra and Nirvana, they uh, did something called Nevermind that did pretty decent. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Boom. So, yeah, I think that I think that covers most. Oh, and Fiona Apple, Win the Pawn. I think that that's a better album than title. And, and oh, wow. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Mm. Hope your breaks. <laughs> well, I should have I should have ended on a high note. With <laughs> you you <laughs> ended on some. <laughs> Never mind. But I'm standing by Fiona Apple, too. Ah, that's Man, tough. I, Oof. I've been listening. I've been listening to Title a lot lately for some reason, and um, I just still can't believe that that's. She wrote those songs when she was seventeen, and recorded it and released it when she was nineteen. Like that. that I, I liked it when it came out, but I'm appreciating it even so much more now. What a just amazing record that is. If it if it matters at all, when you go to Apple now has an essential albums category title is not considered a, uh, essential they have extraordinary machine and when the pawn as the two ex- essential going to apple i'm just so, saying that matters that, that when the pawn is definitely the sophomore album from the 90s 
with um, the longest title at 90 words. There's no doubt about that. That is true. That is true. Jeremy, I, I think this would be an opportunity for you to share some of the lists that you posted on. Well, I, I on cut out website. pretty much every – I cut out everything that we talked about already okay. and maybe a few other things that weren't that big of a deal. I, I, I wanted to mention Golden Smog again uh, just because I, I felt like that Weird Tales album was – just way better in so many ways. I mean, the first album's all right, but I just feel like that album was just blew the other one out of the water and really showcased all of the members' uh, talents, so to speak. Um, Ooh, I was so, just, so not happy with that, whatever you just said. I, I started well, getting red in the face and smoke started coming out my ears because I love that first album so much. I think the problem for me, though, is I'm probably a little bit... Uh, I tend to tend to shy away from things that sound too country. Mm, um, okay. And I feel like the first album had a lot more of a country feel than the second album. Some things I felt were really important to mention anyway, so I'll just touch on a few of these. Um, I think that Grant Lee Buffalo's Mighty Joan Moon is a very underappreciated uh, sophomore album. And people all know it for Mockingbirds, but I, I feel like the song, I feel like that album is great from beginning to end. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys reviewed uh, Lotion's Nobody's Cool. Um, I think that's probably their best album. I love all three, but that's probably their best. Um, uh, this one's kind of weird, but uh, Machines of Loving Grace, uh, Concentration. Uh, I feel like they found themselves before they lost themselves for the next album. Dada's American Highway Flower, just a lot more mature than the first album. This is what I was interesting. I didn't know about this. Black Crow's uh, Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. Uh, even though I don't think it sold nearly as much as their first album did, it had four number one album rock singles, which yeah. broke, it broke Tom Petty's record for an album doing that. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that until today. I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Um, and I and had then, that on my on my list. Is just, I mean, the first album's great, but that album is just a whole other level. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, kind of a this might be something that that Jay would agree with, but uh, a series of sneaks from Spoon. Um, I, not only do I feel like that's a great sophomore album, but I still actually like the first two Spoon albums more than most of the rest of their catalog. Yep. Um, Amen. I love the other stuff, but I really, really love the first two albums. Um, so, And then uh, the, the weird one I was going to throw out is uh, 12 Rods uh, Split Personalities. What? Uh, oh, that's a deep, that's what a deep cut, um, dude. Split yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> So 
just throwing that out there. That's uh, they they I got their EP when it was self released because I lived in Oxford at the time, which is where they were from, and I was pretty much hooked from that point on. So, yeah, I uh, I want to put Chip on the spot. Yes. Uh-oh. Blind Melon. <laughs> you know, such a yeah. That, I mean, I, that was on my list. I was going to talk about that one. Um, such a different sound between the two albums. I don't. I can't pick a favorite between the two, but they definitely change from kind of the granola-y, folky, Grateful Dead meets grunge on the first record to something a little bit more mainstream on the second. But I listen to both of them equally. Okay. For fence sitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not taking so, a position. So I just thought of one more. Yes. Um, Sparkle Horse. Mm. Mm. The first record was good, but I, I, the single was great. The Someday You'll Treat Me Good. Um, but man, Good Morning Spider is just top to bottom amazing. From freshman to sophomore. I was just going to say there's one big jump that we have all completely forgotten about. Some of us might groan at this one, but uh, Semisonic's feeling strangely fine. No, that's a good pick. That is. I was going to uh, mention um, Bjork from debut to post. I have that on my list. I just cut it off. I don't know why. Mm. Okay. I think if you look at the album sales, there's some weird stuff going on between those two albums. Well, to me, it's not necessarily an album sale thing with her. I mean, I just think that that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. that's just a superior record. Any others you want to mention before we wrap up? Last second uh, additions to this. We're about to hit the hour mark, and I want to uh, let my neighbors go to bed. <laughs> Jer- uh, Jeremy, where are you at with Badlands? Which of the two records? Uh, oh, the important Badlands decision. Let's get that on the record. That's that's a really tough one. I If you told me to go listen to Badlands right now, I'd probably still get out the first album. I, oh. I, I know there's some really... I, I love the second album, but it, I, I, there's something about the um, just the straight-up... Uh, kind of Led Zeppelin rocker feel that you get from that first album that uh, I can't I can't stay away from. And, hey, one that, uh, uh, Tim, you might appreciate, maybe, I could be wrong, is uh, God Lives Underwater, Life in the So-Called Space Age. Yeah, I'll agree with that. That second record's better. I, I have a similar one in that genre, but maybe Jim will know this. I don't know, maybe the rest of you guys know. Um, Stabbing Westward? Yes. So the second record had a couple singles on it that were big for them. That's really what made them. The first record's really good. Wait a minute. That... What's the second record? Uh, Wither, Blister, Burn, and Peel. Yes, okay. I was thinking the first one, is Ungod, right? That was the first one, yeah. And okay. that's got good songs on it, for sure. Right, but, um, okay. But the second one is really what made them, like, kind of blew them up. I was getting confused so for a minute. I thought you were going to mention dark. Darkest Days. The, yeah, is that their third record? Yep. Yeah, that's their third. Okay. Hey, speaking of that, uh, you might get a kick out of at some point uh, A being the chorus to Ungod with the uh, chorus to Hey Man, Nice Shot. And just yeah. listen to the guitar. You know why that is? Because, <laughs> well, don't they have a connection like Chris Renner or somebody? Um, yeah, but I think um, the guitar player, Stu, was was in Filter before it was Filter. Like he was playing with Rich. And then I think he joined Stabbing Westward. Yeah, there's a whole weird connection between them and Nine Inch Nails, too, which I yeah. wanted to mention Nine Inch Nails, but their first album came out in 89, so I left that out. 
Uh, that's true. One I'm surprised that hasn't come up, especially considering the what's going on with them right now. Tool. Anyone? Yeah. Anyone with Enema over uh, Undertow? Without a doubt. I love Undertow, but without a doubt, Enema's superior. How do we? What do we? How do we factor back? Is Odile the second record? Because I know no, there's like a bad. no. Odile yeah, is the fourth record. Yeah. Fourth record. Okay. So I know there was I, some I like originally, I had originally thought that too, but there's two um, before Mellow Gold that were released. One foot in the grave. Yeah, and stereo stereopathic soul manure. Oh yeah, I have both those. Most importantly, where do you guys stand on uh, Watershed's uh, self-titled debut versus the Carpet Clip? They're sophomore. <laughs> um, I don't know. I couldn't resist. I'm so sorry. I, I don't know. I think I, I think Watershed is like Pantera, in that in that they had a they had a a couple local releases before before their uh, major yeah. labels releases, yeah. right. Yeah, that's and their first major label release was like a live EP. Yeah, that's um, when they used to do the let's introduce yeah. the band to the public with a live EP or a single or something yeah. like that, rather than hey, you, you know the other thing they have going for them is they were the first band that uh, got a shout out from Foo Fighters within their lyrics. What? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, well, technically, I think they don't. They say I want to live in a watershed, and then they say I want to listen to Flowerhead. Which, I mean, who on this actually knows? I mean, I know who Flowerhead is, but I have both Flowerhead records. I think. Yeah, that was. uh, I was kind of disappointed in that second one, but uh, that's the opposite of what we're talking about today, I guess. Yeah. Well, I really, I really opened Pandora's box with that joke. Did. (laughs) (laughs) See what you did. Um, I'm going to throw out some names, and you, you guys, just thumbs up or thumbs down on whether the sophomore is superior or not. Collective Soul. Yes. That, for, that first record sounds terrible. That's the problem. <laughs> Our Lady Peace. Oh, I love the first record. I mean, the second record is more like pop friendly, but the first one is way more energy and unique. Ben Folds 5. Uh, second one's better. Okay. I like the first one better. Ah, see? Disagreement. Garbage. Ooh. Self titled or version 2. Where do you land? I think a lot of people want to say self-titled, but they're not yeah. going to say it. I like self-titled. No, I got self-titled as well. Supergrass. Uh, the, the, uh, debut, the debut is just top to bottom purple. Yeah, but it, well, I should Coco and In It For The Money. Yeah. In yeah, It For The Money is where tough. I discovered the band, so I always have a soft spot for that record. Yeah, I like that record. Here's one for you, Jim. Liz Fair, Whip Smart versus Exile in Guyville. Exile and Guyville is the be- is the better album. Whip Smart is great, but Exile and Guyville is unbeatable. Suede. I had that on my list. I I don't know. I, I there are some things I really like about that first album. They were uh they weren't doing themselves any favors with their album covers for their first two albums either. And that whole London Suede thing made it kind of frustrating too. But uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that that first album has a. Uh, I know they did other great stuff after that, but. I feel like first versus second. I think I'd have to go with first. I think the first is 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 more solid. The second, Dogman Star, is definitely showing how the band can sprawl and go into all kinds of different directions. And I think that that is something that is to be lauded. But I think it's also a weakness. Okay. Um, last 
but uh, not least, this is the most important of all sophomore albums of the 90s, Spice World. <laughs> Tell me, folks. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Clearly, it's not. We all, we all know that. Um, I didn't even know there was an album for- before that. Well, there's it's the- just not zigazitastic enough. <laughs> We have covered a lot of albums on this show. It's going to be very difficult to pick the musical drops in between all, all these discussions because of uh, there's so many songs and so many bands that we've talked about in albums. So my work will be quite tedious trying to splice in all of the uh, music, but this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to reverse the uh, sophomore curse on these records and talk about all the uh, the good sophomore albums that came out in the 90s, not just the slumps. Well, Tim, clearly the outro music is going to have to be Spice Up Your Life. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was planning here. That's that's how I f- finagled that so I could end on the Spice Girls. Jim, Chip, Jeremy, thank you all for uh, joining us. Um, if you want to find out what everyone's up to, go to our guest pages. Uh, we've got links to blogs and stuff that everybody's doing which reminds me jeremy you're gonna have to send me info on what you're doing uh we'll need like a you know social media and whatnot for you for people because now you're gonna have an influx of messages from people fans autograph requests those sorts of things Uh, life life's pretty boring here i don't know uh i don't know if i'll have much hamilton ohio is about to get real exciting (laughs) and hamilton ontario you're gonna be both it's going to be like some sort of uh, effect there. It's going to it's going to hit both cities at the same time. You're going to be they're going to give you a key to both. Jim, what is the blog that you, people can read you at? Um, tankboy.us is where they can find me most of the time, or on Twitter under Tankboy. Excellent. And Chip, are you still running um, Columbus Calling? Yes, I am. Excellent. Yeah. Anybody anybody touring to Columbus, or are they still ignoring us? Oh man, um, <laughs> caught me off guard. No, I'm working on a couple things. I'm working on some interviews. Uh, Red Cross coming up. Um, yeah. Maybe Strand of Oak. There's a Brant yeah. Bjork show coming up that I'm. There is a Brant Bjork waiting show. Waiting until the last possible minute to buy tickets because I'm at the point now where I I start getting tired at like nine o'clock and I'm like I don't know if I want to go to the show anymore. I don't know if I want to eat these tickets or not. <laughs> so. I'm going to wait. Sebastian Bach. Sebastian Bach's coming on. Oh, that's right. But it's sold out. Yeah. I'll be there. At J. Scully's. Sebastian Bach at Scully's. Just in case you're wondering, we play the same venue as Sebastian Bach. So, dreams do come true. (laughs) I want to remind everybody out there, Patreon is where you go to support the podcast. You can also leave us positive feedback at iTunes to help us with our rankings, which we graciously appreciate. Uh, thanks to all our patrons who chimed in on this episode and for Jay I'm Tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook Twitter and Instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Zazzle.com.